Good afternoon and welcome to Revelation chapter 12. Before we get started though, let's go to the Lord in prayer. There are a lot of people sick with this flu or sinus or whatever it is going around and received a phone call on my way into church this afternoon from a dear saint of a friend. Her granddaughter, Emily, is in the hospital with COVID pneumonia and three blood clots. So let's remember this young lady named Emily, and let's remember um, those that are affected, those family members that are not sick, but have loved ones that are. Our most kind and gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your many blessings upon our life, Lord, and for allowing us the opportunity again to come to your house to worship, to praise, and to honor your name. Lord, we ask that you'll move and that you'll touch, Lord, on those that are sick, Lord, those that, Lord, whatever this is that's going around, Lord, that you're bigger than it. Lord, we know that you can heal. We know that you will heal. And Lord, we ask that you'll touch especially Miss Emily, Lord, that you'll bless her body, that you'll heal, Lord, as only you can, Lord. Lord, that you'll remove the COVID pneumonia, Lord, that you'll remove the the blood clots, Lord. And we ask this in Jesus' sweet and holy name we pray. Amen. Revelation chapter 12. And I'm going to do it a little differently in places. Um, there's a few places where I'm just going to go ahead and read the scriptures. And then we're going to back up and discuss the scriptures. But it works better if you put them together. First one. There appeared a great wonder in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet and upon her head a crown of twelve stars. This is the first of many great miracles mentioned in Revelation. In Revelation 12, verse 3, in just a few verses, we'll see, And there appeared another wonder in heaven. And behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his head. In chapter 13, verses 13 and 14, we see, And he doth great wonders, so that he maketh fire come down from heaven on earth in the sight of men, and deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast, saying to them that dwell on the earth, and they that should make an image to the beast, which had the wound by a sword and did live. Chapter 15 and verse 1 says, And I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven last plagues, for in them is filled up the wrath of God. Verse, chapter 16 and verse 14 says, For they are the spirits of devils working miracles, which go forth unto the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. Chapter 19 and 20 says, And the beast was taken, and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him, with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast, and them that worshipped his image. These both were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. This woman that appears in the heaven, in the sky, is symbolic of Israel. In Genesis chapter 39, we go all the way back to the very first book of the Bible. Verses 9 and 11, we read, And he dreamed yet another dream. This is about Joseph. 
and told it to his brethren and said, Behold, I have dreamed a dream more. And behold, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars made obedience to me. And he told it to his father and to his brethren, and his father rebuked him, saying, What is this dream that thou hast dreamed? Shall I and thy mother and thy brethren indeed come to bow down ourselves to thee to the earth? And his brethren envied him, but his father observed the saying. The sun and moon in Joseph's dream was his mother and father. Jacob and Rachel. And the twelve stars, or the eleven stars, are the twelve tribes of Israel, and Joseph makes the twelve. And he says, And there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet. So he goes all the way back, or we can go all the way back to Genesis, and we can see a, a reference to when Israel is represented by the sun, the moon, and the stars. Verse 2, And she being with a child cried, travailing in birth and pained to be delivered. This verse has a twofold meaning, at a minimum. It shows not Mary, but Israel is the deliverer of Jesus. Yes, Mary, a virgin, gave birth to Jesus, that is undisputable, will not question it at all. However, Mary was Jewish, and being Jewish, it shows that Israel delivers Christ. The second meaning of this verse is what Israel is going to go through, is going through, and has gone through during the tribulation and the great tribulation. You go, well, that's kind of weird. What's Israel giving birth to during the tribulation and the great tribulation? They're giving birth to the second coming of Christ. Israel is being persecuted. Israel is being tortured. Israel is suffering. And they must suffer some things prior to Christ's second coming. It is this second coming that Israel is suffering for as if they were giving birth. And in the way you can look at it that the whole world is suffering, is travailing, because we're all getting ready for this momentous occasion, the second coming. Verse 3, There appeared another wonder in heaven, and behold a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his heads. The second wonder in the sky was the red dragon. This dragon has ten horns and seven crowns on his head, but what does that actually mean? The ten horns are ten kings. This is foretold in Daniel chapters 8 and 24. And the ten horns out of this kingdom are ten kings that shall arise, and shall another arise after them, and he shall be diverse from the first, and he shall subdue three kings. We could spend at least an hour or two or days discussing the other horn that rises after it's diverse from the other. However, perhaps later we will we will get into a little bit of a discussion, but let's stay in Revelation. We need to investigate the seven crowns. These are also kings. 
In Revelation 17 and 10, it says, And there are seven kings, five are fallen, one is, and the other is not yet come. And when he cometh, he must continue a short space. So we have seven kings, and we have ten kings. This represents the entire region or area that the, of the world that are enemies of Israel. When you look at the history, when you look at what's happening in our world today, you can see that these kings are aligning themselves with each other. We see Russia and China talking. We see Iran and China and Russia talking. We see Turkey getting involved. We see this happening right before our very eyes. It will continue to do so until God says, Go get your children. And his tail, in verse 4, drew the third part of the stars of heaven and did cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman, which was ready to be delivered, for to devour her child as soon as it was born. Most people tell, will tell that this verse shows that one-third of the angels left heaven with Lucifer when Lucifer was cast out of heaven as his permanent living place. We see in Job that Satan is still allowed to go to the throne room of God. So Satan, Lucifer, was kicked out of heaven and he could only visit the throne room. So if this shows a third of the angels that were kicked out with him, then this is the only place in the scriptures that I can find and that I could research and find that actually mentions this number. Error, this may reference something else. It may reference end times and not prehistory. If this is end times, it shows that Satan will vehemently oppose all rulers that oppose him and will do whatever he can to destroy them. The dragon, Satan, will oppose the second coming of Christ just as he did the first time when Christ was born as Jesus. All the way back to Genesis, when the serpent tempted Eve, this was Satan's attempt to disturb God's plan for and with mankind. And she brought forth a man-child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up unto God and to his throne. Israel delivered Christ. And the first appearance was to bring salvation. The second appearance will be for the destruction of sin. Satan and evil. He will rule the worlds and the world will submit to his rule. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she had the place prepared of God that they should feed her there a thousand two hundred and threescore days. Matthew 24 and 16 says, let, Then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains. Mark 13 and 14. But when ye shall see the abomination of a desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing where it ought not, let him that readeth understand. Then let them that be in Judea flee to the mountains. Israel will flee at the beginning of the great tribulation to try and escape the coming wrath. This is when the Gentiles overtake the city of Jerusalem and overthrow it. This is the last three and a half years also referred to as time 
times and half times, or also referred to as 1,260 days, which equals three and a half years if you do all 30-day months. God will not leave his people defenseless even in Elijah's time and in the three and a half years of rain, or no rain, I should say. First Kings 17 and 4, Get thee hence and turn thee eastward and hide thyself by the brook Cherith that is before Jordan. And after the brook dried up, Elijah was sent to the widow woman to stay with her and her son. God always takes care of his people. However, sometimes it feels like he waits until the very last minute but he always comes through. He's always on time. Now, we're going to read the next several verses together. Then we're going to come back and we're going to discuss them because it makes more sense to not break them down individually yet. So starting with verse 7, And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought, and his angels and prevailed not, neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out. That old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world, he was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is come salvation, strength, and the kingdom of our God, and the power of his Christ, for the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. Let's back back up. Verse 7, and there was war in heaven. We know that Lucifer was cast from heaven and he became the ruler of this world. We, we know that. We see that all the way back in Isaiah. But is that what this is talking about? Is this the war back in Isaiah's time? Or is this something else? Is this a war in our future? Remember, read those scriptures together. And there was a war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels and prevailed not, neither was their place found anymore in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil, Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now has come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ, for the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our day, Lord, or before our God, day and night. There was a war in heaven. Satan becomes the ruler of the world at his expulsion from heaven in the early days. Isaiah tells of the vision that sees Satan, Lucifer, fall from heaven. Isaiah 14, 12 through 14. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high God. However, when you take this verse, Revelation 12 and 7, in context, this appears to indicate a war in our future or in the end times. We know from Job 1 and 6, now there was a day when... 
the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan came also among them. Why was he going? He was going to accuse. He was going to rattle, tattle, whatever you want to call it. But he was the accuser of the brethren. And he goes up and he says, well, have you, God says, have you considered my servant Job? Well, of course he's going to praise you, using my own words. Of course he's going to praise you. You blessed him mighty. He's, he's one of the richest men. He probably was the richest man in the world at the time. And God said, okay, you can do whatever you want to. Just don't touch him. So Satan stole all of his animals. Satan had his children killed. Satan had all of this done. Goes back to the throne room of God. And God says, have you considered my servant Job? Well, of course he's going to praise you. You won't let me touch him. You can touch him, just don't kill him. So he has balls all over his body. And he's actually taking broken pottery, broken ceramic, and scraping his skin. And his wife even says, curse God and die. We know all of that. We, we read that in Job. He's in heaven. He's able to go in front of God in the throne room of God and accuse the brethren. But when you read Revelation, this is an end time war. Satan is kicked out of heaven completely. He can no longer even go into the throne room of God. I know this is going to, you know, maybe ruffle some feathers, but hear what I'm saying. Towards the end, Satan will not be allowed to even go into the throne room of God. He is allowed to go into the throne room of God right now. But Revelation clearly says that he is, he is expelled from heaven and he is no longer the accuser of the brethren. So this tells me that these verses are for an end time result. Satan is removed from heaven. And this is actually the start of Satan's judgments. Because now he's no longer allowed to do what he thinks he does best. And he does really well at accusing us. This really ticks him off. And this is one of the reasons, and I won't say the only reason, but this is one of the reasons why the last three and a half years is considered the great tribulation, that it gets so much worse. Because now Satan has no other avenues except to torment the people that are here on this earth. Verse 8 says, and they prevailed not, neither was their place found any more in heaven. Now the angels are kicked out, and Satan's kicked out, and there's no more of a place found for them in heaven. They cannot even go into the throne room of God at this time. They have been expelled. They've been expulsed. They've been removed completely, locked out. And they're cast down to this earth at this time to stay here on earth for the rest of whatever time's left. Verse 9, And the great dragon was cast out, that old servant, serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. 
Now we see that he has expelled him from heaven. He has kicked him out. He's evicted him from the council of God, if you will, from the sons of God, I believe. Uh, yeah, the sons of God is what Job 1 and 6 calls him from King James. Satan is now earthbound. He's not in hell. Satan has never been in hell. And believe it or not, Satan will never be in hell. You go, well, that just that's wrong. You're, you're dumber than a load of bricks, Robert. No, he's in the lake of fire. He kicked into the lake of fire, which hell is picked up and dropped into the lake of fire. Satan is not in hell. He's on this earth. He is roaming the earth trying to see who he can devour. And at this time, minding your time, Today, November, what, 3rd? Yeah, November the 3rd, he's able to go to the throne room of God. But when this war takes place sometime in our future, he will no longer be allowed even in the throne room of God. Satan is now earthbound. He is not in hell, but he is allowed to run amok on earth at this time. His angels were cast out with him. Satan's judgments had started. And it goes in phases. The last phase is where he is ultimately defeated. But at this point in his sentencing, he still has power and can continue to tempt mankind. And will continue to tempt us. However, he still cannot make us do anything. I don't care who you are. Satan cannot force you to do something. You do it because you want to do it. You take the drugs, you drink the alcohol, you have the affair, you do whatever you do because you want to do them, not because Satan makes you do it. God could make us do it, but he won't. He gives us a choice. Every second of the day, we are standing in a crossroad. We can go to the right, we can go to the left. That's up to you. Satan can't force you down one of those paths, and God, who could, will not. Satan would love to push you down that path, but he can't do it. He is only allowed to tempt us. Now, he will make that path that he's on look as pretty at the start as he possibly can make it look. I don't know if many of you ever go hiking or have went hiking, but some of the prettiest trails I've ever been on Started out as gorgeous, but they also ended up as some of the hard trails that I'd ever hiked. So Satan can make it look really, really good at the beginning. But after a while, you, you start to realize, eh, this is a path I should not have been on. Verse 10, and I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God, and the power of his Christ, for the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. He's no longer allowed to accuse us in the throne room of God. He is only allowed to tempt us on this earth. That's my interpretation. That's the way I'm reading it. That's the way the Spirit, I believe the Spirit is telling me, if you want to disagree, that's perfectly okay. I have no problem. If you wanted to debate it, that's perfectly all right. We'll sit and talk. However, I will not argue it. Because you know what? In the long run, it really doesn't matter if this is a war in the future or a war in the past. 
the last page of the book says we win. A loud voice proclaimed that now that Satan was cast down or no longer allowed to have access to heaven, that salvation had come to heaven and soon it would come to earth. But he can no longer accuse the saints or the Christians in the throne room. Satan's defeat is imminent. Now, you say, well, why do I say that salvation had come to heaven? He's no longer allowed to come into heaven and accuse anyone. He is no longer allowed in the throne room. He had a, he had a, a security badge that allowed him access to the throne room. However, it didn't allow him access to any of the rest of heaven, apparently. It only allowed him access to the throne room. Well, his security badge had been revoked. His security badge had been deactivated. He's no longer even allowed to go into the throne room. So he can't accuse anybody. So that's why the, why the scripture says, now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ for the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them both before our God day and night. Verse 11, and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto the death. The only way to overcome Satan is through the blood of Jesus. To have the blood applied to our life, and I, under, I, I hope, that all that are listening and that will listen has that blood applied to your life. But if you do not, guess what? You can get saved even in a Revelation Bible study. Because God is here just as much as he is on Sunday morning, just as much as he is on Sunday night, just as much as he is on Wednesday or any other of the prayer meetings that we have on Tuesday. God is here on Thursday night just like he is on all the other nights. So if you do not know Christ, if you do not know him as your Lord and Savior, tonight is the night and right now is the acceptable hour because you are not promised Tomorrow, you're not promised your next breath. You're not promised to allow, I don't know where you're at physically. You may be in your room. You may be sitting on your couch. You may be listening to this going down the highway. Hopefully you're listening and not trying to watch and drive at the same time. You're not promised to get to where you're supposed to go. So if you do not have Christ blood on your life fully, 100%, now is the time to get it. Because it's coming to an end. As I said earlier in this, even this class, and as I've said, I just think about every week I've said it, we're watching Revelation play out in front of our very eyes. Just today I was reading, earlier this afternoon, I was reading the reports coming in and watching the reports coming in from Israel on how Russia and China, Iran and Turkey are joining and aligning themselves with each other. Gog and Magog is getting ready. The enemies of Israel are getting ready to attack. When will it happen? It could still be years from now. They could start attacking tonight. There's no promises of any length of time. So are you ready? If you're waiting for the rapture, don't. Because you may not make it to the rapture. You may be killed in a car wreck. You may be dropped dead of a heart attack. 
I heard of a uh, of an individual just this past week. Uh, a couple of months ago, she laid down on her bed and her 10-year-old grandson came in to wake her up the next morning and couldn't get his grandma up because that night she had died of a massive heart attack. She was uh, just a little bit older than me. She's in her probably late, mid-60s. She didn't wake up. She either died of a heart attack or a brain aneurysm took her out. So if you're waiting for the rapture, don't. Be prepared now. Be ready to go this minute, this second. And I'm going to put a pause in Revelation just a second. We're going to, we're going to put uh, the parking brake on in Revelation. And I'm going to tell you there is no special words. We all talk about the sinner's prayer, but there's no sinner's prayer. It's coming from your heart, sincere. Ask the Lord to save you. Ask the Lord to forgive you. Confess your sins to him, not to me, not to the priest, not to the pastor, not to the, confess your sins to him and ask him to forgive you. And he will, if it is sincere. The only way to overcome Satan is through the blood of Jesus and have the blood applied to our life. Those that came to the Lord and brought the word of the Lord helped bring more people to the kingdom. They preached even if it meant their being killed because of it. All of us, as my pastor would say, are called to preach. Maybe not pastor, maybe not stand at a podium, but all of us are are called to preach God's word. Mm -hmm. Are you taking advantage of the opportunities that the Lord is giving you on a day-to-day -day basis? Are you helping spread the gospel or are you helping spread gossip? There's a huge difference between gospel and gossip. Which is it that you're spreading? You may be persecuted for it, but I would rather be persecuted for preaching and teaching God's word than to be accepted by the world that's going to die and go to sin and to go to hell. I'll take my chances with preaching and teaching. I may get the door slammed in my face. I may be told, oh, I don't want to hear your junk. That's okay. It's not me that you're turning your back on. It's God. So I am encouraging you to take the opportunities to preach. I am encouraging you to take the opportunities to study what God has said in his word. Verse 12. Therefore rejoice ye heavens and ye that dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea. For the devil has come down unto you, having great wrath, because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. Again, he's kicked out of heaven. He cannot even go into the throne room of heaven at this time. So he's really ticked off. And he's going to take it out on the earth and the people of the earth. So heaven's great and wonderful. And they're saying, yes, rejoice, heaven. You don't have to listen to him no more. But for those people that are on earth, woe to them because he's come down. He's He's got great wrath. He's very mad. Because he's no longer allowed to do what he does. 
and he's no longer allowed to do what he does because his time is extremely, extremely short. And he has just a little bit of time before he is ultimately and totally defeated. When the dragon saw that he was cast unto the earth, he persecuted the woman which brought forth the man-child. Remember, start of the chapter, we was talking about the woman giving birth. Satan's focus is Israel. He realizes that salvation come through the birth of Christ. He also knows of the promise that God will always protect Israel. He is determined to destroy Israel no matter what it takes. And he tries, and he tries, and he tries. And they may get beat up, and they may have to be running in from uh, persecution. But they'll never be defeated. They'll never be 100% destroyed because God's hand of protection is on Israel. Verse 14, and to the woman were given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness, into her place where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time for three and a half years from the face of the serpent. Remember, the prophet Elijah was taken care of for three and a half years in the drought. Israel will take flight and flee from the persecution of Satan. Now, where they hide will not be spoken of, and they will be well hidden. They will flee quickly, as that they took wings of an eagle and they flew away. They will hide for the three and a half years or during the great tribulation. In Revelation 7 and 18, it says, And I heard the number of them which were sealed, and there were sealed a hundred and forty and four thousand of all the tribes of the children of Israel. Those that are sealed will hide away from the wrath of Satan and will find refuge and they will find solace. But where are they going to hide? God knows. Elijah hid by the serpent, by the, by the stream, by the brook. And they looked and looked and looked and looked all over the land for him and didn't find him. He's there by the brook. He's drinking the water of the brook. The ravens are flying in and bringing him food. They couldn't find him. God had hid him and hid him well. See, the land of Israel is well suited for this kind of uh, activity, if you will. Now you know why some for whatever reason God had in his mind to put Israel in this land. No, he put them there for very good reasons. And one of them was to hide them in the days to come. And the serpent cast out of his mouth water as a flood after the woman that he might cause her to be carried away of the flood. Is this a literal flood of water or is this a flood of trouble? Either way, the topographical terrain will protect the sealed people. The land is perfectly suited for this activity. If it is water that's literally coming out of the serpent's mouth, if he's broken down and, and the floodwaters come, the land is such that it will, it will lead the water away from their hiding place. Israel is a wonderfully designed 
piece of property. The northern end gets the snow, gets the rain, gets all of that, and it trickles down into the valleys into the middle portion of Israel. And it continues to flow out of the middle portion into the Negev, which is the desert, which is the wilderness of Zion. So if they're hiding in the north, in the mountains, and doesn't it say flee to the mountains? If they're hiding in, in the mountains, the water's going to be directed away from them to the valley, to the Negev, to the desert. If it's trouble that is coming out of the serpent's mouth, same thing, great hiding places in northern Israel, through the mountains, through the valleys of the mountains, well designed to keep people you know, alive, fed, clothed, sheltered, well designed for all of that. So you wonder why God put Israel where he put them? I have no question about it. Either water or trouble, God is prepared for it, and he's prepared it way back when he promised Abraham that the land would be his and the people forever. Verse 16, And the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened up her mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon cast out of his mouth. There are deep valleys all through the northern section and going into the center section of Israel. There are deep chasms and deep valleys that will funnel that water away from the people that are hiding in the mountains. And if it's trouble and not literal water, those mountains are an excellent hiding place. Years ago, here in the mountains of North Carolina, Tennessee, there was an individual named Eric Rudolph. Eric Rudolph had been accused, and probably rightfully so, but I won't say that he was definitely guilty. I wasn't there, but he was accused of doing some vandalism. He um, blew up abortion clinics and things of that nature, so the FBI was looking for him. And he went to the mountains of North Carolina and Tennessee and hid out. And the only reason that they caught Eric Rudolph is because he made a mistake. He was seen getting food out of a dumpster because the people that had been helping him and helping feed him had went away and they forgot to give him a key to their house. So he was eating out of this dumpster behind the store. Police officer just happened to be driving by and saw him and they captured Eric Rudolph. Mountains are a great place to hide. Very good place to hide. Verse 17, And the dragon was wroth with the woman, and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keepeth the commandments of God, and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Satan decides to wage war on the remaining Christians. He knows his time is coming and he wants to destroy as many as he can possibly destroy. We'll end there, end of chapter 12. We'll take up chapter 13 next week. But we're also going to take up a, a short discussion, if you will, 
on the characteristics of the Antichrist. Because you see, we're getting into that period of the scriptures where the Antichrist is making his face seen. We will not by any means be able to tell you his name. We will not by any means be able to tell you what he looks like. But we will, by the scriptures, be able to explain to you the characteristics of him, the Antichrist. And I keep stressing he and him. It is a guy. It is a male person. It's not a female that wants to be a male, and it's not a male that wants to be a female. It's a guy. It's a man. And he is the Antichrist. And the scriptures are very clear on his characteristics. And they are clear on the characteristics so you can identify him when he steps out on the world stage, which could be any time. He actually may step out before we meet next week. But my plan is right now, let's go... God changes it. My plan is that we will discuss, and that may be all we get to do next week, is discuss the characteristics of the Antichrist. So I'm looking forward to getting into that discussion with you next week. Remember to pray for those that are sick. Remember to pray for Miss Emily, uh, Sister Mildred Turner's granddaughter. She is in the hospital with COVID pneumonia and three uh, blood clots. So remember her in your prayers. Remember Sister Turner in your prayers. She is very distraught. The family is very distraught. As you can imagine, remember those that are uh, come down with the sinuses, uh, flu, pneumonia, whatever's going around, remember them as well. And remember each other. Lift each other up in prayers. If you don't have a home church, I encourage you to find a home church. No, church doesn't save you. Christ saves you. However, it does say, and he does tell us, not to forsake the assembling of ourselves. And we'll, that's a whole new sermon, and that's not in the Revelation. But do not stay away from church just because you can. Just because you can watch it on TV. Just because you can see it on Facebook. Just because you can pull it up on YouTube. Don't stay away. That's great and wonderful. And kind. If you're sick, that's the perfect way to go to church. But when you're well, go to church. Sit next to people. It will do you a world of good to be able to sit down and, and have a conversation with a brother or a, with a sister. You may find out that you're not all by yourself. You know, during this pandemic and the isolation and the quarantine, depression rose, suicide rose, and a lot of it was because people felt alone, people felt isolated, people felt all by themselves. Well, I'm encouraging you, go find you a God-believing, Bible-believing church and get involved in it. And that loneliness will flee because you'll realize that you're not in this thing in the boat all by yourself. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our most kind and gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this day, Lord. We thank you for your many blessings upon our life, Lord, for allowing us the opportunity again to come into your house to worship and praise and to honor your name. We ask, Lord, that you'll move and touch on those that have watched and those that will watch, God. We ask that you'll bless in a mighty and a special way. And, Lord, we ask this in Jesus' sweet and holy name we pray. Amen.
next week, I'll talk to you about the Antichrist.